the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. All right, Aubrey, there's this story that uh, I saw in all sorts of places, uh, 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 Christian places, Fox News, all different places. And it's out of Arizona Mm. and the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Diocese of Phoenix announced this week that a local priest had incorrectly been using the word we instead of I during baptismal ceremonies. And that seems like a small deal. Right. But it actually rendered thousands of christenings invalid. They said, Mm -hmm. uh, so basically, all of the baptisms that this particular priest did over the span of like 20 years uh, become invalidated. And that has thrown a lot of questions. What does this mean? Uh, The diocese did make a statement uh, when somebody asked, isn't this just nitpicking by Mm -hmm. the church? This one word difference. And they answered in part this way. God is not bound by the sacraments in that he can and does extend his grace in whatever measure and manner he wills. We can be assured that all who approached God, our father, in good faith to receive the sacraments did not walk away empty handed. So so they did clarify a little bit. I don't think that uh, we don't need to necessarily have a conversation, although when you first read this, as a pastor, somebody who does weddings, somebody mm-hmm. who does, I know we treat things differently than, say, the Catholic Church does right, in these manners, right. but I'm always terrified of messing these kinds of things up. <laughs> Not for people's salvation, right. but because of the big moment right, that it is. Right, right. Ex- exactly. I, yeah. And of course, we want to honor the Catholic Church and, and honor their leadership. And uh, but, but I definitely was like, oh, whoa, that's, that's a lot of pressure on um, yes. the priest and kind of just makes you go, oh. Oh, okay. Thank goodness that the power of the baptism is in the Holy Spirit and in Jesus and not in a frail person like me or you or this priest who could accidentally make a a mistake. But certainly it's different in the evangelical church where we're not so tied to like specific um, liturgies or sacraments. But um, there are other ways that we certainly are afraid of of saying the wrong thing, letting the wrong words slip, or ruining a beautiful moment like yes. a baptismal wedding, et cetera. I'm always terrified every time I do a wedding of saying the wrong you name. You are terrified. Have you ever said the wrong name? I have not. You never I think will. because of how much I'm terrified. I, <laughs> hey, how exactly do you want me to say this? Yeah, how exactly? Yeah. So you might be wondering how this came about. On August the 6th, the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith issued a note clarifying that baptisms using an improper formula, namely those using the phrase, we baptize you, instead of the church's ancient formula, a formula, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are now invalid. And so that's where this is coming from. Uh, and Aubrey, I think a lot of us, when we read this first, or I'll just speak for myself, mm-hmm. when I read this first, this became an easy thing to point a finger. Uh, this became an, an easy one to look where Jesus says, hey, look at the log in your own eye before yeah. this. Back. Because when I first read that, I'm like, what in the world is the Catholic Church doing? This right. is cr- I, we, 
Like, is this really good? And I'm right. glad to see their clarifications. Me but, too. But is this really going to have this ripple effect? Because as this article kind of talks about, this starts to play on issues of salvation, of right. um, confirmation right. for kids, right. of marriages right. in the Catholic Church. Like, right. this is no small deal. And also, the, one of the things that I just was a little struck by was like, it's the Catholic Church, which Catholic by nature means global. And so you'd almost think we would be more acceptable than I. So even that threw me off a little yeah, bit. But go yeah, ahead, yeah. Brian. And I didn't so, cut you off. Uh, a lot of parishes are trying to figure this out. But Aubrey, it, you know, kind of arrogantly, I looked at this story and I was like, we would never do that. Get, what, what's mm. going on? And then it made me, I tried to go into a little bit of introspection because yeah. I knew we were going to talk about it. Yeah. I didn't want to just be like, bashing another you know or whatever else it might be so here's what i what it struck me though how many times do i live my faith by formulaic nature as well Mm. right like we as protestants like to go no we don't we absolutely do this and it might not be the difference between i and we or this but aubrey how many times do we formulaically say if I do this, God's going to do this yeah. for me. If I don't do this, God won't yes. do this for me. God, yes. there, there is this transactional system between God and mm. I, and I do this all the time in my life. All right, if I read my Bible for 20 minutes this morning, then yeah. I would never say that. Right. But I live that way. Right. If I just spend some time, okay, if I spend some time praying now, God's surely going to yeah. recognize that. If I give this, if I do this, whatever else yeah. it might be, yeah. I do think we live transactionally with our faith, don't you think? Yeah, and I, I know that the whole point of the gospel is not that, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the Lord is not Santa Claus, the Lord is not like a genie in the bottle, that if you just, or a kind of a a a mythological God, like mm-hmm. if you do this one thing rightly, then you'll get the results you want. Like I, I, but somehow that's in us. Right. Yes. And, and I'm sure a brilliant person like Tim Keller would say, that's the difference between religion and the gospel. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so you're right. There are things that I, I mean, I, that are subtle, but you're right. If I get up and read my Bible every day, mm-hmm. if I go to church, go to church, perfect attendance. <laughs> if I we pray as a family at dinner, if we whatever it is, then we think, okay, now I'm living the right life, or right, now God's right. gonna bless me, or now, and that does t- that does tr- um, it misses the transformational relational yeah. a message yeah. of the gospel. Yeah, and it turns the it grace. transactional. Yeah, Correct. yeah. Correct. So, so, and I think, let me say one more Go ahead, thing. go ahead. I think going back to what I said before, it gives us too much power, like mm. as if we're in charge of our salvation, yes. when really it's a gift to be received from God. So how do we break out of it? This is the <laughs> age-old question, right? This is what Jesus oh, said to the Pharisees over and over again. This is the heart mm. of when we read in the Gospels why Jesus fought, if you will, with the Pharisees and the religious leaders yeah. all the time. It was a works-based righteousness versus uh, kind of recognizing our need for God's grace. So mm-hmm. this is at many ways, Aubrey, the foundation of the faith. And That's so true. I know in a minute and a half, you can't give us the right. answer, but how do we recognize if this, if we're getting this wrong and maybe what's one or what, what's just some hope? How do we break free of kind of a transactional r- righteousness, a transactional religion? Yeah, I do. I do feel like this is a hard question um, because You know, spiritual disciplines and even spiritual practices and sacraments are beautiful gifts of grace. That's right. But I think perhaps that's the starting point is to think about grace, right? That or to to consider grace, to to pray for the Lord to help you understand grace. That we do these things out of who we are in Christ and because of what Jesus has done for us, 
um, from our approval in Jesus, not for mm, it. That's right. And so there's a posture switch. It seems subtle, but I actually think, like you said, it's really foundational to remember, like, we delight and we rejoice in spending time in Bible study. We delight and rejoice in going to church on Sunday, all because they're gifts of grace. But like the love that God has for us because of Jesus's death Mm -hmm. does not change. Like you could never go to church your whole life. Mm -hmm. And if you're walking in Christ, you are still loved by God, period. Well, you know, it's complicated, Brian, but I do think it's a, a posture shift and like a receipt. Yeah receiving grace versus trying to earn it. Yeah, it's. I, I think that's well put. And I think to use the words transformational and relational versus transactional, mm-hmm. and you just have to think of your family relationships, right? If I had a transactional relationship with my wife or my kids, that's going to be painful. Like those yeah, relationships are not right, going to right. flourish. But yet so often we put that uh, upon God and, and you don't mm-hmm. have to look any further again than to the Pharisees and Jesus's interactions yeah. with them and, and ask yourself, why did Jesus butt heads with them so much? It was over this exact thing. So a story that's kind of been in the news, but I think it highlights an issue that a lot of us deal with. And hopefully we can begin to walk in the right steps. Well, coming up next, uh, Deborah Faleta is going to join us. Amongst other things, she is the author of a new book. Are you really OK? Getting real about who you are, how you're doing and why it matters. We're excited to talk to Deborah Faleta next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey, if there's one thing it feels like we go back to, especially as we're coming out of this pandemic, it's just people's mental health. Uh, absolutely. Are we doing okay? Absolutely. I- the importance of being honest about how we're doing. And with that in mind, we're really excited to talk to the author of a book called Are You Really Okay? Getting Real About Who You Are, How You're Doing, and Why It Matters. That mm. author is Deborah Faleta. Deborah, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? We're doing really well. Thanks so we, much. We've got to be careful how we answer that question, though, right? <laughs> it's yes. not true. you got to be honest. <laughs> yeah. really okay. <laughs> it was a setup. It was a setup. So, uh, Deborah, what an important book. We're, mm-hmm. we're really excited to talk to you and unpack it a little bit. But before we do that, why don't you just introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit better? Yeah, I'm a licensed professional counselor. I'm a wife and mom. And I am truly passionate about the message of helping Christians understand that just because we love Jesus, just because we're Christians, doesn't necessarily mean that we're healthy, doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing okay. So such an important topic right now. And again, I want to just repeat the title of your book because it's so good. Are you really okay getting real about who you are, how you're doing and why it matters? And Deborah, just give us a big picture. Why did you decide to write this book and what's it all about? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I got a book contract to begin writing this book in 2019 before Mm. 2020 was even (laughs) here. I didn't even know what was coming. (laughs) But I really, I really believe God knew because the pressure of the past few years has really brought up so much inside of us. It's unmasked some of the stress and sadness and fears and doubts Mm. that we're feeling on the inside. And You know, as a licensed counselor, I see so many people who are struggling with this area of their life, with their mental health, with their emotional health, and it begins to impact their relationships. It begins to impact their life. And I think too many of us are maybe afraid to admit 
that we're struggling because mm-hmm. we think that as Christians, we should have it all together. Yeah. But that's not what scripture tells us. Yeah. And so I wanted to offer a resource to help people take inventory of how they're doing emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically. Mm. And, and Deborah, uh, Aubrey and I are both pastors, so we, we help people in church, in our churches, and also having grown up in the church. And what you said is so true that we as Christians, especially it feels like to me, tend not to be honest when we're not doing yeah. well. We tend not to be honest. Let's ask this question. Why do you think that is? Why specifically do Christians not really feel the ability to say when we're not doing well? And what is the danger in our lives when we're not honest about how we're doing? Yeah. Well, I really believe that it's rooted in fear and a lack of education. So a little mm. bit of both. Here's, here's what we tend to do in the church. We tend to focus on our spiritual health. Mm-hmm. We kind of fixate on that. We want to be spiritually healthy people. We go to church. We read our Bible. We pray. We do all the things, and we hope that that overflows into other areas of our life. But what we don't realize is that health is a process. When, when the disciples came to Jesus and they said to him, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I really believe he could have just said, love the Lord your God, period. Mm-hmm. He broke it up into those four quadrants because loving God means that we have to be healthy in our heart, which represents our emotional health, our soul, our spiritual health, our mind, our mental health and our strengths, our physical health. Mm. So it's this holistic experience, and I think sometimes we fixate on spiritual health all while neglecting the other parts of our health, including our mental, Mm. our emotional health, and then those things hold us back Mm. from loving God and loving others the way that we were intended to. Mm. So good, Deborah. Um, obviously, we want people to read your book, so we don't want you to give everything away. But are there a, a few pieces of wisdom you could give us about learning how to express our emotions in healthier ways? Yeah, I think that's an important part. And I start the book with the section on emotional health, partly because Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart first, the emotional aspect of our heart And I like to think of human beings like a volcano. We've got all of this pressure building underneath the surface, this stress, this pressure, these emotions. And what happens is when we don't identify those emotions and we don't deal with them in a healthy way and we don't give them a healthy release, a healthy outlet, just like a volcano, that pressure will build up and it will eventually find the point of least resistance and come out in an emotional explosion. Mm. And that could look different for different people. Maybe that comes out in the form of a panic attack Mm. or in clinical depression or clinical anxiety. Maybe it comes out in the form of stress and conflict in your relationship. Maybe it comes out through addiction. Mm. And we wonder, why are these things happening? Why can't I get a grip on myself? Why am I losing control in my relationships and my feelings and my behaviors? But really, it's because there's a lot of things emotionally that are unaddressed underneath the surface. And so part of being an emotionally healthy person is taking the time to pause mm. and really identify that pressure that's building up underneath the surface and deal with it in a healthy way. Mm. Again, the name of the book is Are You Really Okay? Getting Real About Who You Are, How You're Doing, and Why It Matters. And 
Uh, Deborah, Aubrey and I both have uh, kids. I've got uh, an 18-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 12-year-old, and COVID has been so strange. How how do we as parents, how do we assess if our kids are doing well? And if we're worried about how our kids are doing, what would you, what advice would you give to parents in helping kids along this journey? Well, oftentimes as parents, we tend to look at our children's behavior as kind of the main problem, okay? They're acting out or they're not listening or they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. But one thing I explain in Are You Really Okay is that thoughts lead us to feel certain things, and then those feelings lead us to behave in a certain way. So when you're seeing your child start acting strange or isolating or having more anger and rage than usual, sometimes what we want to do is just punish the behavior and try Mm -hmm. to alter the behavior. But really, what we need to do is back up a little and say, well, what feeling might be causing that behavior? What's going on underneath the surface for them? And and having those conversations is so important. But here's the thing. Children learn how to manage their emotions by modeling. We model to them what it looks like to feel Mm. and what it looks like to have permission to feel and to discuss what we're feeling and to express what's going on inside Mm, of us. When you look at scripture, Jesus felt and experienced over 39 different emotions, according to biblical scholars. I mean, Jesus himself knew what it was like to feel something and express it in a healthy way. So I think we need to give ourselves and our children permission to feel and have those conversations in our family as a regular part of our routine. Yeah, that's so important, especially for right now. And Deborah, you're also the author of several books, Choosing Marriage, True Love Dates, and Love in Every Season. And along with what we're talking about now and, you know, tying those together, thinking about couples who experience a lot of strain during the pandemic. And we know we've got some of those listeners listening right now. Do you have any words of encouragement for them? I do, and it's not the typical advice that you hear. I was joking last week on Instagram that I was offering everybody non-Valentine's Day advice. (laughs) It was all about taking personal responsibility and realizing that healthy people make healthy relationships. And I think sometimes we look at our relationship as the problem, all this tension, all this conflict, all these things we're experiencing and feeling. So what we really need to do is back up and take inventory of our own emotional and mental health because how we interact, how healthy we are in our interactions begins to shape our relationships, begins to shape and overflow into everything that we do. And so the healthier we are, the healthier we will be able to engage with the people in our lives. And And that includes our marriage. That Mm. includes our parenting. When we begin to change, it begins to influence the dynamic of the relationships in our life. That's good. And Deborah, before we let you go, I do want to hear uh, really briefly about your Love and Relationships podcast. It looks fascinating. It's a hotline style podcast. Tell us a little bit about that podcast. Yeah, the Love and Relationships podcast is my show where people call in with questions about everything from marriage to singleness to mental and emotional health. And right now we're doing a specific series working with couples. I'm doing couples counseling sessions on air. Wow. These couples have come to just talk about what's going on in their marriages and 
and we're, we're learning, we're growing, and we're becoming healthier together. Oh, that's great. Again, you can learn more about Deborah and her books at truelovedates.com. You can also connect with her on Twitter at Deb Falata, at Deb Falata. And again, the podcast is called the Love and Relationships Podcast. That's the Love and Relationships Podcast. And we've been talking to Deborah about her book, Are You Really Okay? Getting Real About Who You Are, How You're Doing, and Why It Matters. I can't encourage you enough to go out and pick up that book. Deborah, this has been a great time. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. All right, Aubrey, Super Bowl is in the rearview mirror. It just happened, but I did want to highlight something that I found really powerful from this past week's Super Bowl, Uh, and it was the night before the Super Bowl. uh, The Rams' uh, offensive lineman, his name's Andrew Whitworth, Uh, he is, now that Tom Brady retired, he's the oldest person in the NFL. He's 40 years old as an offensive lineman. Wow which is crazy, it is highly likely he's going to retire now that they won the Super Bowl. Okay, and this okay, and gotcha. Andrew Whitworth was named the, the NFL's Walter Payton Man of the Year. Cool, good Which for is him. a huge honor. It is all, it has nothing to do with your performance on the okay. field. It is all about community service, what you're giving back. Cool. And it's the NFL and all the people honoring somebody for all that they've done. And uh, that was this past Saturday. So the night before, might so have been Friday. before the Super happened Bowl. before the Very Super cool. Bowl. Okay. Okay. Uh, some of you might remember at the beginning of the Super Bowl, they honored him. They like mentioned him and they showed him while Walter Payton's kids talked a little bit. So it's a big deal. And he gave a stirring speech, Aubrey, that I believe mm. could preach. I, I believe Andrew Whitworth is a believer, but I don't want to. It might not be. I'm not don't sure. Don't assume that. Okay. Uh, This preaches because he talks about kind of what drives him and some of the results as to why he gives back. Uh, And so I want you to hear from Andrew Whitworth, and then I want to talk about a little bit. Here's Andrew Whitworth at the Walter Payton Man of the Year Awards. I've had so many amazing experiences serving in the community. Watching that video just really brought tears to my eyes and and it warmed my heart, just watching people smile, watching kids just enjoy life and remembering what that was like. Going on school visits providing STEM labs, hospital visits, programs for military, or just going to local food banks and helping out with homeless shelters. All those have been amazing. But one experience brought it all together for me this year, and it happened to me on a football field. In our game against the Detroit Lions, I had a young player from the Lions run up to me as soon as the final horn went off. And I saw him sprinting over, and I didn't know what was going on. Like we'd known each other forever. I couldn't place him. It made me so nervous. Had I actually played long enough that like a coach's son or player's son is playing against me? <laughs> he stopped that. He said, hey, man, you're not going to remember me. I'm Derek Barnes. You spent time with me when you were a young player in Cincinnati at the Boys and Girls Club. And it meant the world to me. You used to sit with me and talk to me about life. And I was just a little kid. I want you to know how much it meant to me. I said, man, he goes, you know what? The main thing I wanted to say with, I made it. I made it to the NFL, big wit. Wow. I was floored for how special that was, but I don't tell that story to say I did anything special. I hope you don't see that video and you think there's anything special about me, but I hope that you see it and you think this. On that Tuesday off day, when every guy sitting in this room has played knows, I'd rather be at home. 
I made an investment in him, and I didn't even know it. I think that's a great lesson for all of us. None of us know when the moment's going to present itself. The key is to always be available when it does. So keep investing, lead with your heart, and I can't wait to watch the legacy continue. Because remember this, it's a blessing and not a burden to carry on this NFL legacy. Aubrey, if you watch it on video, people are crying as he's saying that. Oh, I mean, this is very moving. That story he gave and the guy, the other player that he talked about in there, whom he built into the Boys and Girls Club, is sitting there at the the place. They brought him into the audit. He's there. He's now an NFL player as well. But I love Mm. what Andrew Whitworth said there, Aubrey. Basically, you don't know the results yes. of what you're doing. Uh, so all we can do is show up. Yeah. Uh, look yeah. for opportunities. Invest in other people. Yeah. Give your time. And you don't know the difference that might make. It's a parable that Jesus tells about Absolutely. sowing seed, about Absolutely. this and that. I found this to be really powerful. Oh, it's it's so powerful. And I, I appreciate this uh, one of the parts of this speech, you can invest your time, you can invest your finances, or you can invest your voice. It doesn't matter which, but we have to keep investing each other mm-hmm. in each other. Let your heart lead you all the way. And so he pours into this kid, right, as a young athlete yeah. and has no idea the kid is going to make it into the NFL one day. And the reality is, okay, even if the kid, even if it wasn't that beautiful story, even right. if the kid didn't, there's still so much fruit that this successful athlete would take the time to pour into a young athlete, right. mentor, care for, see, spend time with. The beautiful part of the story is, look, I made it. And I, I think you're exactly right, Brian. Like, we have no idea the fruit, and we may not get to see it in our lifetime like mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Whitworth gets to see it, but... um we have no idea the fruit that the Lord will bear simply because like you said, we just showed up for somebody and poured into them and encouraged them and love them. And, and I mean, this, this is a very powerful story. You're right. It'll preach. It's such a Bible picture, right? It is, it is, Hey, we are not called to go and change kids lives. Mm. We are not called to uh, save people. We are not called to do whatever else it may be. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah. We are called to be ambassadors of Christ. Yeah. And what the Holy Spirit does and what that person does is not really up to us. You right. and I talked about this the other day about preaching, that that there might be someday when us preachers get to heaven, there might be people around us going, I never knew that yeah. what I said on that day did this. I, I just mm-hmm. love his posture that also says, hey, it's a lot easier. Football players are all beat up. They get traditionally the day off on Tuesday or whatever. And he's going, I know everybody in this room, you'd rather sit at home. He's basically acknowledging it is easier not to serve Mm. other people. It's easier not to give time, but look at what can happen. And you don't even know what could happen. The possibilities are endless. Uh, When I hear stories like this, Aubrey, it does compel me to want to share the gospel, Mm -hmm. help people do this, do whatever else, because I can get very self-centered and very self-focused on my life. But you hear stories like this. It's just a beautiful reminder that God uses our brokenness and Mm -hmm. and our our bad effort, you know, our half-hearted efforts or whatever yeah. else, and God changes lives with them. You have no idea what God's going to do. Correct. I, I, there's also something beautiful about 
being in a place or in in Andrew's uh, circumstance, a position for a long period of time, Mm -hmm. because then there's a track record, right, of relationship, of integrity, of people seeing you. And so you have that sort of longevity where 20 years later, the person that you invested in when they were a teenager or Mm -hmm. what can come back to you and say, oh, you're still running the race. I'm running the race because of you. Like, I mean, I think there are things like that that we don't even just being somewhere faithfully for the long run. I don't even think we realize how that is so powerful and impactful because it's not, quote unquote, sexy. It's not, quote unquote, platform building. It's not, quote unquote, like Instagrammable. But the dividends eternally, the dividends in transforming, like what the Lord will do through transforming other people simply because you are faithful right where you are for a long period of time. This is a good word for a lot of people. And I, and I think in a, in a day and age when we're so antsy for the next thing and the next thing and doing the new thing. And let's remember the value of just like mm-hmm. living a good life mm-hmm. in one place. Mm-hmm. I, as I think back on my own life, I and I think about especially when I was younger, the adults who made the biggest impact in my life, all of it is about time. Isn't that it, Brian? It's all yep. about time. Yep. None of it is about this is the amazing message right, they preach. Right, this is right. my youth pastor, p- other people from my church, other things. It was it's 100% about the investment of time That's and it. care. That's and it. I think we all need to learn that lesson. Well, uh, coming up next, how one eight-year-old pursued his dreams. We're going to talk about this really cute story that will challenge us as well. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. We're so thrilled that you're with us today. Brian, there was the sweetest story all over the news. It was on NPR, it was on Lester Holtz Nightly News, Kids mm-hmm. Edition. My husband actually came home talking about it. So the world is talking about Dylan Helbig. He's an eight-year-old aspiring author. And I don't want to spoil too much of the story because we're going to play it from NPR for our listeners. But essentially, Dylan wrote a book and found a very creative way to get it on the shelves of his library. Let's go ahead and take a listen to Dylan's story. New book recently entered the catalog of the Lake Hazel branch of the Ada Community Library in Boise, Idaho. That normally wouldn't be news, but the author of this one is eight years old. Well, the title is The Adventures of Dylan Helbig's Christmas by Dylan Helbig himself. And that, you may have guessed, is Dylan Helbig. He loves to read, to draw, and write. He's been making storybooks since he was about six He really wanted a book he wrote to be on a library shelf where other people could enjoy it. So, on a trip to the library with his grandmother, Dylan snuck one in. Um, I covered this part with my hand and the rest with my body so it looks like a normal library book. And I ran in and put it on one of the shelves um, and then read a book so so I didn't look suspicious. Once we did find it, it was clear to us that this was just a very special item. Alex Hartman is a librarian and branch manager at the library where Dylan left his book. He found the illustrations in Dylan Helbig's book to be imaginative and sophisticated. Believe the story was told with a mix of science fiction, historical fiction, and fantasy. He's magically transported to the North Pole, chased by a moose into a portal which transports him back in time to 1621, where he uh, joins the first Thanksgiving 
in colonial America. He's eaten by a giant turkey. And the book ends on a cliffhanger with a message that there will be a sequel to the story. Boy, I want to read this book. Alex Hartman says librarians ordinarily read reviews of books before they add them to the library's collection. Dylan Helbig's book obviously didn't have the advantage of that official endorsement, but... Uh, Several of the library staff, including our picture book selector, um, read through the book, and we really just determined that it fit all of our selection criteria. So they called the Helbig family and asked to add it. And the book has become popular. I mean, really popular. When we spoke with Alex Hartman earlier this week, it had 87 holds. The public acclaim has made Dylan excited about the idea of writing another, a revised version of a previous book he wrote about a closet that eats jackets. And he has this advice for aspiring authors. Step one, think about what you're going to write. Step two, pick up the pencil. Step three, draw what your mind is thinking of. Step four, make it into a library book. Step five, sneak into the library and put it on the shelf. And, of course, step six. Don't look suspicious. Okay, so (laughs) I love so many things about this, but I love that Dylan just snuck the book into the library. Like, no one's looking. I I heard another interview with him where he said the scariest part was the librarian. He just didn't want to get in trouble, so he, like, waited till the librarian dodged out of the way, and then he put (laughs) his book on the shelf. The best part about it is I read recently that now there's a waiting list of, like, 97 people for the book, and like we just heard, now he's working on another book. So there is just so much cuteness and sweetness in this story. And one of the parts that I love about it is that his parents kind of said, yeah, go sneak your book into the library, you know? And I don't know if a lot of parents would, would actually be that supportive. And I, and I don't know. I just think it turned out really, really sweet. So Brian, I think there's a, a few things that we could talk about here. One, how do we encourage those of us who have kids or grandkids? How do we encourage them to follow their dreams? And even for us, like, how do we follow our dreams? I just love the boldness in this kid, right? I do too. Sneak it into your library. Don't get caught. Not going to say no for an answer. (laughs) I really do love that. But uh, Aubrey, I think, you know, what's the old, you know, what's the old adage that, that, you know, the, the kids will lead us, right? Like, like mm. kind of know what the kids are doing. Yeah, that's this good. This kid goes, hey, I want to write a book and get in the library. He didn't think to himself, well, I got to I gotta go through a publisher. Right. I have to get a contract. Oh, I could right. never write a book. Writing a book. He's like, right. I, what was it? Point two, pick up your pencil. <laughs> and he's just writing. And I, I just love this because there is something to, okay, uh, we can teach our kids. But really, Aubrey, it's something uh, that our guest said earlier, Deborah uh, Faleda said, you know, on some level, we know what to do, yeah. and when it comes to our kids, they're going to watch us. So mm. if if I, as a parent or an adult, is one who chases dreams mm. and says anything is possible and uh, we're going to try to make this work or whatever, my kids are going to pick that up. If all they hear from me is, that's not logical, that yeah. doesn't make Obviously, there's times to say no. Don't get me wrong, right? Sure, but, sure. But if that's all they hear, you know, like, what are you going to do with that major or whatever else it might be? Uh, then they're going to get that as well. I just love this kid. There's an innocence to yes. him that says, I don't know, I wanted to write a book, and now I'm going to write so another I book. So I did. Yeah. yeah it's, it's wonderful, and I think a lot of us adults who overthink yeah. things could really be challenged by this. Yeah, I think there's some beauty, too, in, in what you just said, because I, I do think, specifically, I'm in writing, and so you can make a lot of excuses not to write, mm-hmm. and you can worry even about 
well, if I write, will anybody read it? Is there mm-hmm. any point? And it's like that childlike, um, both tenacity and carefreeness to go, I don't care. I'm going to sneak out of my library. Like, who cares if one person reads it? I'm going to do this thing that I want right. to do. And I think you're right. There are things for all of us to learn from that. Like, if, if God has put a dream in your heart, mm-hmm. don't worry so much about the masses that it reaches or the massive, just like do the work to, to get it done. And, and I will say this is actually in writing. This is actually one of the very like professional expertise piece of advice. Piece of advice is sit down and write because Mm -hmm. a lot of people want to write books. Nobody wants to sit down and do it. So Dylan's already got that right. Grab your pencil, get to work. Um, Brian, there was a article over at healthymagazine.com that talked about this very thing, how parents should encourage their kids to dream big Mm -hmm. and why they shouldn't encourage their kids to dream big. And what I liked about this article is they said three things. They said, get to know your child very well. Mm. So, you know, sometimes I think we can want our kids to pursue the dreams we think they should be pursuing. But what if we actually got to know our kids uh, well enough, listened to our kids well enough and discovered the things they're passionate about, Mm -hmm. the things they're good at, their strengths, their weaknesses, and uh, maybe not pigeonhole them, but try to invite them into like growing in that area specifically. Right. And then the other thing is um, this article talks about encouraging your kids to pursue goodness. Mm. And I feel like this is really, really healthy for parents to understand that it is so important not to just encourage your kids to dream, to make a name for themselves, to make money. But what does God want for them? What's the good that they're meant to bring into the world? What's the issue of injustice that they're meant to solve? And can we um, encourage their character as much as the thing that they're pursuing? Mm, That is hard too, right? As as parents, we want our kids to be successful. Yeah, we we do. There's like a clear path to go. In reality, especially when our kids are young, I think what these articles remind us and these stories remind us is Fan into flame the passions God has placed in your kids. And they might seem crazy to us as adults, but that's the time to be crazy, right? Like, let the kids learn. And and again, I've got a daughter who's about to go to college. And the difficulty is when we're discussing majors or this or that is to just go, okay, well, what are you going to do with them? It's an important question to ask. It absolutely is. But I don't think it, even at college age, can be the driving for Luckily, I need to ask her instead, what are you passionate about? Yeah, that's good. What do you want to learn? That's good. And let's see what God does with that. And then even when your kids are younger and your kid's like, I want to write a book. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's, as opposed to, you're a kid, you can't write a book. We can really squash our kids dreams and and really set them up for a a way of viewing the world going forward or we can go i believe in you let's talk let's just okay you want to start a a lemonade stand and just do it okay let's talk about i think there's ways that we can uh grow these things in our kids and not turn them into kind of curmudgeon adults like a lot of us are before they need to be right and maybe it's a call for all of us to kind of tap into the inner dylan helbig in all of us and ask god to like reignite what were some of those dreams we had when we were young when we were eight years old god are you uh, could you open that up in us again so maybe we could live sort of a a creative fun life even in small Mm -hmm. ways as as we are doing the curmudgeon adult things that's right well we hope that encourages you i thought that was a very sweet story When we return, Brian and I are going to try to answer kind of a difficult question, especially in light of the past two years. Can we really turn the corner on mental health? We'll be talking about that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we're so thrilled that you're with us today. A story has come out recently that is so devastating. It's one of those tragic stories of of bullying. And unfortunately, a 12-year-old young man died, uh, committed suicide after being bullied by one person in his life. And I think that was another schoolmate. Yeah, yeah. Um, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, and you could search the hashtag do it for Drake, D-R-A-Y-K-E. I actually just came upon this the other day reading in Aubrey's. Uh, it's awful because, uh, you know, I think a lot of times when we were younger, this idea of bullying, it was kind of like, ah, boys will be boys. And totally. I know girls are can be worse at right, this. In fact, right. usually the stories of girls are terrible. Girls but, are mean to each but other. But I know yeah. as a boy... Uh, growing up, it was, oh, you know, you got to be tough. This is what totally. boys do. Sticks and stones may break my bones, right. but names will never hurt me. And all of that just isn't true. And now in the age of social media where kids can get like things can just escalate so much worse. Uh, I do think oftentimes you hear stories of kids suicide. Oftentimes you'll hear kids um, doing other things, even behind school shootings and other things, you'll often yeah. hear these stories of bullying. And I yeah. think you and I are parents with kids this age. I think uh, we cannot put our head in the sand and go, ah, oh, you know, my kid would A, never be bullied or B, would never be the right. bully. Right. Because you just never know. This conversation parents need, need, need to have. I, you know, I think, too, the difference between when we were growing up, Brian, and this day and age, too, is we didn't have cell phones or access to the Internet mm-hmm, or, or mm-hmm. social media. And so... In one sense, if you lived in a safe home, if you were being bullied at school, there was a respite at home. There was a break. But in this day and age, it's like kids, unless they're just not on phones, they can't get away from it. If there's a bully, like that bully's going after them online, on their games, on their social apps. And so, again, this just highlights the the dark nature of both uh, who the bullies are and the ones being bullied. And like, seems like just society in general, has to do so much better about addressing these things. Because we do know, um, you know, unfortunately, kids who are bullies have seen bullying. Mm -hmm. Perhaps they have been bullied, often been bullied in the home. And so bullying needs to stop at the home and be talked about at the home. And there has to be um, mental health care on both sides like kids who feel like the right thing to do is bully another kid well they obviously need help Mm. kids of course who are being bullied to the point of this this poor precious boy who killed himself obviously need support and help so somehow societally in the schools even in churches we have to get better at this relevant magazine is asked actually asking a question um starting in december they started talking about this can we really turn the corner on mental health And the way this article starts is they say most medical professionals agree that we are less than a generation away from turning the corner on cancer. But when it comes to mental health, the car is still parked in the garage. Mm -hmm. And you and I have covered stories where it just seems like the rates of depression, anxiety, Mm -hmm. suicide Mm -hmm. are like going through the roof. That's right. That's right. And so what in the world should we be doing, Brian, especially as Christians? Yeah, it has to be uh, it has to start in the home. And it has to start by having this be a normative conversation. Mm. So uh, if if you and again, uh, as a dad who's busy and this not I yeah. I don't always do this well. Uh, but if 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 you were to be asked the question, how is your child doing psychologically, mm. mentally, and your first response is I don't know, yeah, like that's a that's a red flag. Like you need to go 
find out. I can't tell you how many times, you know, we you hear stories of parents who find out things later on through social media about their kids or through the. There needs to be this conversation. Fully understanding teenagers especially don't want their parents to know everything, so they may not open up. But there needs to be this, hey, if things aren't going well, then we, the home is a safe place to yeah. talk about this. I would suggest from an early age having these discussions. But also bullying just can't be normalized. Like, right. you know, I think about the movies from when we were growing up. Now, usually yes. the answer was that the underdog defeated the bully, right? Think Karate Kid or whatever yeah. else it might be. Yeah. But there was still a normalizing about bullying. There like, was. This is going to happen to you. Right. And we're, we're just seeing the ramifications of that now. And now social media and the interconnectedness, as you said, just pours gasoline on the fire. Yeah. And you can't expect the schools to be the one who are going to drive this. Because right. Because schools right. can deal with what happens in the school. But now with social media, this is a 24-7 deal. Mm. This is on the plates of the parents and to, mm. to be active and to get inside there. And I also think, Aubrey, you brought up the church. I think this is something churches need to be talking about. Like, right, we, we always talk about, uh, we talked about with Deborah Faleta before, that, yes. that we need to be talking about mental health within the church. Yeah. But I also think this idea of mental health for our children, uh, the church has been slow on this one. Yeah. Oftentimes we're going, ah, oh, they'll be fine. They just need to grow up. They so just true. need Jesus. They just need this. And might be true on some circumstances, but not all. We just don't want to get to the point like this poor family where oh, like we knew so there was a problem. We were trying to do something, but it yeah. got so bad that this precious 12 year old killed himself. Like I don't and I don't think that's over dramatic. Like you no, hear these stories. This is not a one off. Yeah. Uh, and so I would say that mental health for kids, bullying, all of this is a national crisis. It's a pandemic. That's right. That, that really has to be treated as such. Yeah, that's right. Um, one of the things that this article says at Relevant Magazine, that's that's a word for the church specifically. Uh, this author says, break your leg in a snow skiing accident. A church staffer will call you. You might even get a card in the mail. Get diagnosed with breast cancer. The prayer warriors will rally around you. Need open heart surgery? Your small mm. group's coming to the hospital. But what happens when your wife can't get out of bed to dress her children for school and is eventually diagnosed with major depressive disorder? What about when your 22-year-old son goes missing after a night of smoking weed and is discovered by the police the next day, rambling incoherently in a grocery store, a few weeks later gets diagnosed with schizophrenia? Mm. What does the church do when you're forced to resign your duties as a deacon because you need 28 days to dry out in rehab? And here, here's the really poignant part. I can tell you what usually happens in these situations, the article says. The church gets quiet. Mm. And I think that goes back to what you're saying, Brian, is we need to have these conversations in our homes. We need to have these conversations in churches. We need to have these conversations in school where maybe we are afraid. Um, perhaps our silence is not is definitely contributing to some of the violence that we're seeing. Yeah. And so we we have to get better at walking with people who are hurting and, and somehow, and I don't have the answer to this, but somehow it seems like be on the proactive front end of things to help begin to curb this pandemic, as you so yep. brilliantly called it in our nation. Yeah. I just think the ultimate takeaway is parents. Uh, you can't be too, too careful with this. Mm, so ask your yeah. kids, Hey, uh, maybe ask him a, a, a simpler question. Do you see bullying going on in your school? Like, do you see it online? Yeah. You know, mom, I do, or dad, I do. What's that look like? Help That's me good. understand. I don't understand bullying in this culture very well. And then it's going to be, that conversation is eventually going to get to the point of, 
do you ever experience that? Like, is that ever happening with you? Uh, no, no, not ever. Are you ever one of the people doing that? No, no, you know, but having that maybe yeah, a normal that's conversation. That's good. Because uh, schools are doing it. They talk about bullying all the time, yeah. but it's not enough to be in the schools. We need the churches, but most of all, we need parents and we need families kind of picking up this mantle going, okay, uh, maybe we didn't talk about bullying when I was a kid, but yeah. it's something we need to talk about now. Yeah, that's that's a really good word for all of us, Brian. Thanks for that. When we return, we're going to talk about the value of doing things that are frivolous, fun, and quote-unquote useless. That'll be a fun conversation. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. We're so glad that you've been with us today. It is the end of today's show. And at the end of every show, we love to bring you something challenging, inspiring, or something just to put a smile on your face. Brian, we've talked about play on the show before. We've talked about the value of having fun. I actually was reading an article about the value of doing something useless. Now, useless in quotes here meaning something that's not necessarily work-related or efficient or accomplishing something, but just being in the moment. Maybe another word would be the value of doing something frivolous. Mm. This is an article by Courtney Ellis over at Elisa Morgan's blog, elisamorgan.com. And what she talks about really is she's in ministry. And what she talks about is, look, there's so much to do, right? Like you just, you got to drive your kids here. You got to exercise. You got to fulfill your work duties. You got to get your steering fluid in your car refilled. Like all the, there's so much to do in life that sometimes sitting down and doing a puzzle or having a tea party with your kid that can feel quote unquote useless or frivolous because it's not really necessary. Right. There's so many necessary demands on us. But um, this this author, this article is kind of calling us back to what about just doing something that's delightful? That's right. You know, what about doing something that helps you not feel exhausted for once? What about uh, the fact that God created us to live and move in a world and and actually refill our cups with enjoyable things like cupcakes, sitting at the beach, uh, doing that jigsaw puzzle that I mentioned Again, these things may seem, quote unquote, useless, mm-hmm. but really they lift our souls. Yep. And and so this article says, are you weary, frazzled, burnt out, exhausted? I think we would all answer with a resounding yes <laughs> to all of those questions. She says, lay down your tools, close the computer, ignore the laundry, take a deep breath, listen. Yeah. What delights call to you? It, it's a wonderful not just an article, but something for us to wrestle with. I was telling you as we were preparing for this that, you know, I can remember when my daughters especially were little or my son, when my kids were younger and, you you know, you'd have it in your plan. I got to mow the lawn or mm-hmm. got to do the dishes mm-hmm. or I got to make a phone call. Well, all important things. Yes. Now, none of this is to denigrate the things we have to get done. Right. But then your daughter is like, hey, dad, you want to play shoots and ladders? And you're like, it's the dumbest game in the world. <laughs> and we've played all the time. Or my right. son is, dad, you want to go out and throw a ball? Yeah, I've been dreaming of the day of throwing a ball with my son, but we could do it. Like, you know, you start uh, doing it. I've got this thing to do, this or, thing to do. Or, yeah. Hey, you know, they're a little older, but hey, dad, can you know, you want to go for a walk? Yeah. Okay. And there is always that, that. And I think what this is reminding us is, A, none of that is useless. I think she's mm. using this to kind of. Right. No, those are the important moments of life. But also, uh, too, the, that we've got to, that if we all we're doing are the things that are um, right in front of us and have to get done, mm-hmm. in our minds, have to get done, mm-hmm. 
then we're going to burn out. We're going to miss our kids. Like we're going to miss yeah. all of this. We're going to, yeah. we're going to, our marriage is going to show like, all of these things are going to yeah. get pulled at in the name of the urgent, right? So a lot of times we miss the important for what's uh, urgent. So true. And, and so, you know, I think this reminds us, Hey, like sometimes slow down. Life is not as complicated and life is not as you're not as important as you think. And remember what the important things are in your life. It's your kids. It's, it's yes. this and that. And so, uh, yeah, I find this, Aubrey, you and I have spent a lot of time in the last couple of weeks, uh, me, me especially, bemoaning how fast life goes. Right. And, you know, I'm constantly singing to you. Uh, <laughs> cats I in took, the cradle. Cats in the cradle <laughs> and uh, all of this stuff. But um, well, you have a choice in life. Mm. Like you can enjoy yeah. those moments where your kids want to play shoots and ladders. Yeah. Or where your wife or husband want to go for a walk yeah. or where you can embrace those times. And there's times where you would have to look at them and be like, listen, I have to get this right. done. Right. I'm but, under a deadline but or, if or what But if all your you. life ever is, is I have to get this done, then you've got some things that are missing. And yeah. I would make one more point about this. Oftentimes for me, when she asks, you know, when, when there's this, I'm going to close my computer or not do this, but I'm going to do the things, the, the useless things, as she calls them. My my um my default is usually just turn the television on. A hundred percent. Yes. Nothing wrong with that. Right, right. But I don't know that I think there's more creative, more life giving things that we can be doing yeah. than always turning on a random basketball game right. or this show right. or this cooking show or you know, whatever else it might be. And so uh I don't think the point of her article here is just, hey, sometimes close your computer and watch TV. <laughs> Or always close your computer and watch <laughs> right, TV. Right. Sometimes, right. but not all the time. So yeah. I, this is we talk about this all the time. I know. And the reason we talk about this all the time is because you and I and most people out there don't do this. Well. Yeah, we we have to get better at it. It's funny. I, I'm reading. We had a, a woman on the show called, uh, named Felicia Wu Song. She wrote a book called Restless Devices. Brian and I interviewed her. And I have been reading her book oh, over, really? over the past week, just kind of in the morning when I get up like a chapter at a time. And one of the one of the things that she's inviting people to do is certain experiments um, like this, where you put your phone away for an hour, mm-hmm. you know, and then you build up to maybe the whole weekend. But it's interesting because she's inviting people back mm-hmm. to play throughout the book. And she asks a series of questions that I've been thinking about the past few days Um uh, what are some things that you love doing when you were a kid? Mm. She asks, um, what are some things that just put you in the flow? So after you've done this, you're like, okay, now I'm ready to be creative and work, or I feel excited or whatever, how you want to define That's flow. Right. Who are some people that you've been meaning to connect with for a while and you really want to? What is something you've always wanted to do, but you keep putting off? And she has a series of questions like that. That's not all of them. But I think sometimes where I get stuck, Brian, and I know I've said this to you before, sometimes I forget how to play. Mm-hmm. Like, as an adult, I'm just tired. I do the Netflix thing, and I forget, like, wait, what do I like to do? What does fill my soul? How can I get? And so I, I really appreciate those questions because it just gets that creative brain going, like, what might I actually fill right. my time with if I were to hold off on the laundry and hold off on the grocery list and close my computer for a while? Um, I, you know, I, I think we almost have to start there, like going back to, okay, it's as simple as I like going on a walk. Yep. I like going out to dinner. I like going to a 
a Broadway show. I like, I mean, you know, there's a scale, right, of how much money you want to uh-huh, spend. Uh-huh. and how. I like playing a board game with my kids. Like, those simple things that we can do to invite delight and play and quote-unquote uselessness back into our lives um, in such a way that, that it is fun and it's inviting and it can become part of the rhythm of our life. Um, but I, I got to be honest, like, I have to even start there. Like, what do I like to do? Yes, Brian, tell that's me. Hard. That's yeah. really, it's so funny you bring that up. I had that exact thought the other day when I had some time and I was like, I don't know really what I want to do right now. Like, I had to sit down and think about it. Aubrey, I think what we're talking about here is, you know, the goal in life isn't just to be balanced for the sake of being balanced, mm. but but you can't always work. You can't yeah. always be doing tasks. You're you're not made to run at that high level. And, yeah. and your kids need you. Your your spouse needs you. Your friends, like friendships are important. And so I would look at your life and go, okay, where's their play? Mm. Where's their unwinding or just, you know, decompressing. Yeah. Where am I working? Where am I working hard? And in that set, I'm going to work as hard as I can and go for it. Right. Uh, where is this? And just kind of look at your life and have this. Uh, and if you really want to take a risk, ask your ask your spouse, ask your kids how you're doing at it. Oh, See what they say. Oh, that's good. That's a really good word for all of us. Well, we hope that encourages you to maybe try to do something useless today just for the fun and delight of it. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.